Before I read the scripture, I want to pray. So join me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words recorded for us to learn more about you and your ways. Open our minds to learn more about you and our hearts to know you more intimately and more clearly. Holy Spirit, quicken our souls to what these words are saying to this generation this morning. Amen. The uh, selections this morning are from the book of Exodus, chapter 40, and Leviticus, chapter 1, chapter 22, and chapter 26. They're all in the bulletin, so follow along or, or don't. Exodus 40, verse 6, starting in verse 16. This Moses did, according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. Jumping to verse 34. Then the, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Leviticus 1.1 1, 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. Chapter 22. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. And then chapter 26. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me and also in walking contrary to me so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. sort of like a trip down memory lane of the last week, the last two weeks, and really the 20 years that I've been in ministry to hear those words read 
realize I chose them. And for all sorts of lovely reasons that I'm excited to preach about to you all this morning. We're doing a series on every book of the Bible and its importance, one at a time. And the reason that I had Jeff read Exodus chapter 40 is it's right before Leviticus chapter 1. The Bible does not always operate this way. And if you were here last week, heard me preach on the Exodus, the book and the event that is both something that happened in history and dominant metaphor of the New Testament to explain what Jesus did on our behalf, and you're a student of the Bible, you'd be like, you left out the tabernacle. You left out God telling his people to build a house where he's going to dwell to constantly encourage and guide and guard them. So I'm covering it now. Not only because I didn't talk about it last week, because it's essential to understanding Leviticus. And however important you think Leviticus is, I was stunned this week at the interdependence of the scriptures. I brought this up a lot since January because in preaching on Christ and now looking at the, Bible, the whole Bible, the Bible is so interdependent, so in regular conversation with itself. And the presence of the Lord with his people is something that Leviticus highlights in ways that I had not thought about in a long time. If Genesis teaches us that God is creator, and hopefully we remember that word not in a stern way, but in a way that we would describe someone who's gifted, perhaps in the arts. If Exodus teaches us that God is a rescuer, Leviticus teaches us that God is with his people. If you had asked me last week to summarize Leviticus, having studied it, but not as much as I did this week, I would have said it's about God's holiness. But in studying it this week, so much of it is about God knowing that our dominant need is to be with him and then him making provision for the nation of Israel. Part of the reason we read from chapter 26 is because when God describes the new covenant in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, he uses this terminology that then Jesus adopts in the New Testament and then Hebrews references. Do you see all the threads of the scripture telling us God is with us and for us and yet he's holy and a holy God cannot be with unholy people. In 1 John, it says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And that verse is both about the initial salvation, the initial move of a follower of God to put their faith in Jesus, and it's also about daily joy. If it's possible for us to actually lose our natural sense of shame and enjoy life, then it's an then then first John, which Exodus which is referencing, or excuse me, not Exodus, which is referencing Leviticus, then, then daily joy is actually available to us. 
And make no mistake, while you might read the book of Leviticus and get lost for a lot of really legitimate reasons. So there'll be a description of the sacrifice. There'll be a description of the sacrifice, um, especially in the first 10 or 11 chapters of the book. So there's a description of the sacrifice and there's a description of the person who's going to perform the rites of the sacrifice. There are parts of the bread that you eat and parts of the bread that you don't. We can get lost in that. And part of it is because it doesn't explain, except for the Day of Atonement, all of the whys and hows of how this works to atone. But if we read Leviticus in the conversation of the rest of Scripture, it reminds us that daily joy is available to us that we can actually live as people released from legitimate shame and guilt. The practices described throughout Leviticus involve animals and oil, different kinds of cooking and bread. And they're to give the practice the, the people practicing these things, a sense of what God did in them in rescuing them from the Exodus and what God is doing in them, sanctifying them, growing them and maturing them as followers of Christ. Throughout the second half of the book of Leviticus, the theme of it is God sanctifying his people. Not them sanctifying themselves through the offerings, them receiving his sanctification through all of these practices. No, that's not right them receiving their sanctification from him and integrating it through the practices. Very, very, very much like what we are doing right now. Not becoming right with God, but attempting to integrate our rightness with him in our minds and our hearts that we might live as free people. The book of Hebrews, which is essential to understanding Jesus as our mediator, this is why we used it for the Lectio, describes the entire book of Leviticus in chapter 9 in order to then bring us to the praise that we read in chapter 10. I think this is a terrific summary of the book of Leviticus. I do wonder how many of you would have been more excited, how many of you the exact same, how many of you less, if you had known, like, when you were drinking your coffee, today's sermon's about Leviticus. I'd be, I would really like to know if some of you are like, ah, I'm in. And others of you are like, well, just I'm curious. I can't read people's faces. I used to think I could and realized I actually couldn't. So, you know, text me or email me later. But hear this from the writer of Hebrews, which tells us about the end of Exodus, the establishing of the tabernacle, and the essentialness, the essential nature of Leviticus in understanding what God did for us in the work of Christ. This is in chapter 9. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail, which is Bible for I'm going to shorten this passage. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. 
but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, that's on the Day of Atonement, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The Lord is present to his worshipers. As I was looking at the beginning of Leviticus and the number of five large kinds of sacrifices, and really seven, and they overlap quite a bit in their purpose and function, the purpose of them is God being with his people. God longs for us to be able to receive the grace of his presence. He knows that we long for him. He offers himself, and yet he's holy and just and good. And so he gives us practices to help us understand, receive, and integrate his good news. And those practices used to be burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, and guilt offerings. Let me ask you a question. I want you to picture a close friend of yours. Do you remember giving them a compliment? Someone gave me a very, very kind compliment, accompanying a gift this morning. That's part of a relationship, right? The friend from high school that you're still in touch with, or if you're in high school, the friend from high school. Do you remember telling an old story? And you remember in the middle of the story that you've already told this story, even that afternoon. And you keep telling it because that's part of relationship. You know when you're at a large family gathering and there's that family member that you don't mind if you end up sitting by at dinner? Just enjoy their company. Some of you are like, that's my whole family. We, the rest of us, think you're weird. (laughs) But it's a large extended family gathering and you're sitting by... And you're like, oh. And you don't even know if they're, we're going to talk. They're not even that funny. You just know you're going to enjoy their presence. You remember when you've apologized for accidentally harming or for missing an opportunity to care well for a family member or a friend or someone at work? And that has a different layer to it than when you apologize for actually harming someone. I was talking with a friend earlier this week about fully being fully justified in sending a brushback email, you know, it's a baseball term, like a, like a zinger of an email. And on a good day, you wait. On a bad day, you don't. And you come back to it. I'm sorry. Because I deliberately hit send, knowing that that would sting. And I thought that in it stinging, I would feel better. And then I didn't. So now I'm apologizing. Maybe your apologies are way better than that. That's how mine sound. So indirectly, or, or perhaps, I don't know if indirectly is the right word. So I just walked you through the five dominant kinds of sacrifice 
in the first nine chapters of Leviticus. The purpose of them was to give the people a sense of what God did and was doing in rescuing them, in calling them to himself, and then in growing them up. The burnt offering was about an ask or simply a praise, a compliment. That's also something we do in relationship. If we're close with someone, we ask them periodically or often to relate to us differently, right? It's one of the riskiest things to do in a relationship, one of the most necessary things to do in a relationship, and is certainly something that we do with God. We ask him for things. Those are burnt offerings. The grain offerings are, are about communion with one another. And I don't mean the sacrament of communion. I mean enjoying one another. The peace offering is about a memorial which it overlaps quite a bit with the former offering, but it's, it's about enjoying one another's company. That's the family member you don't mind sitting with. That's the old story with the friend. The sin offering in chapters 4 and 5 of Leviticus is unintentional or opportunities that should have been taken. This is a little bit of a different category of what theologians would call sins of omission. But all of us are very aware of accidental harm. Harm was still perpetrated, but if intent is in there, it's different, right? I was talking with a therapist recently, and he said, gave this analogy of a father harming his child accidentally and a father harming his child on purpose. And the child is harmed either way. I'm not going to give you a description of the injury. It was very, I realize how visceral the image was now that I'm sitting here talking to the hundred and however many of you. There's still injury, but it's different when there's intent. And the guilt offering from chapters 6 and 7 of Leviticus are about when it's on purpose. Now, the work of redemption, just following Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, whose work is it? It's God's. So what then are these practices? Though we don't practice what... Leviticus describes, we practice something very similar to it in what we're doing right now, what we would call the ordinary means of grace. Why? This is so important, people. This is so important to understand about religion and especially about faith in Jesus. Who did the work? God brought you out of the land of Egypt on eagle's wings. God using poetic prose or poetry to describe his work rescuing the people. Then he gives them these practices for them to integrate who he is, and then they grow up, mature, be sanctified more easily, more thoroughly. The Lord is present to his worshipers who approach by grace. Throughout the book, even though the people are to practice and the Levites are to stand between them and mediate, we no longer need that because of Jesus. That's the entire book of Hebrews' point, in part, is always by grace. In the fall, many of our schools take off on Yom Kippur. Do you know what Yom Kippur stands for? It's the Day of Atonement. It's described in Leviticus chapters 16 and 17. And it's a beautiful description of God giving his people practices to understand and even see he saves 
and grows them up even while they continue to sin intentionally and unintentionally, even while they continue to resist the memorial fellowship with him described in the first seven chapters of the book. The practices of faith, Leviticus teaches us this, though not in a way that's very intuitive. If you've attempted to read, it is the place where Bible reading plans go to die. We can all admit that, right? Although a good study Bible really helps. Helps you see the practice, and then it'll jump a few chapters to the explanation of the practice, making it a lot more accessible and understandable. The Lord is present to his worshipers who then and now approach by grace, meaning he did the work, and that when he gives us the practices, it is to help us integrate and understand and then live by what we receive by faith. The mediator in this case is Moses and Aaron and the training of the Levitical, of the Levites and the priests to mediate. What's the role of a mediator? It's not to give what only God can give. It's to help understand. This is where I am incredibly humbled by my calling. I'm not a mediator. I'm not a priest. But I do have, you read our constitution of our denomination or the Westminster Confession of Faith, I have a priestly role, which is to help myself and all of you understand faith and why we might practice faith communally and individually. And the reason, even in the book of Leviticus, is that our joy might be full. The Lord is present to his worshipers who approach by grace and are cleansed. Chapter 16, verse 30. Chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. Chapter 22, verses 31 through 33. Are we cleansed by the practice? No. We're cleansed by God who comes and pursues us. Practicing the practices that we might shed our sense of the guilt. Unintentional and intentional. Our sense of our lack of fellowship with God brought about by the world and our fallenness. In chapter 19, verses 17 and 18, some of the commands of God are um, described, and they're not just described as don't murder, but don't have those anger, let go of that anger even in your mind. And if that's ringing a bell with you, it's because Jesus quoted it. Because religion is not what we practice, but we practice it in order to believe it and believe it more deeply. When Jesus was asked to summarize the law, he quoted Leviticus. And when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, it's not just murder, but name-calling, not just adultery, but your imagination that's the problem. He's thinking of and paraphrasing Leviticus because religion is not how we spend an hour but a way of life specifically to those commands avoiding ways of death and choosing and following ways of life Leviticus chapters 18 through uh, I think 21 describe many many horrific ways of death available to us. Why? 
to remind us, to teach us, to guide us into choosing life. And there are a lot of penalties back then. And that's because the Israelites lived in a theocracy, in a church-state nexus that was designed to teach the nations all around them about worshiping God, not sacrificing humans, but animals, treating one each other with respect and care. And some of the laws sound so outdated to us now, but 3,000 years ago, protecting indentured servants, protecting sojourners, protecting women, though it would sound odd to us as we read this today, was absolutely revolutionary. And what all of those texts remind us of is how naturally far away from holiness we are. And the reason that's important is if we understand how naturally far we are from God, then we see the lengths he goes to to rescue us through faith in Jesus for us, through the actual physical rescue of the Israelites in the Exodus. We learn something about his heart. The Lord is present to his worshipers who approach by grace and are cleansed. We have to do a little more work to see the gospel in Leviticus than some of the other books of the scripture, but it is the same good news. God describes their uncircumcised hearts, then he describes the new covenant, which is going to Give them a new heart. That's Jeremiah 31. Jesus references that in describing his own work, and then the rest of the New Testament integrates it, calling it the good news, which is that God is present. We receive that no longer through these practices, but through faith in him. And we are both cleansed and being grown up by him, which is good, good news. Pray with me. Father, we long to receive your fatherly affection. We know that it is ours. We long to understand it and rest in it. Jesus, we are so thankful that you mediated on our behalf and that that work is entirely finished. And Holy Spirit, we believe and know that you did all this, that our joy may be full. Would you help us to live in the light of what you did for us? Amen.